Happy Easter. I'm the old guy that was on the... Yeah, it's good to be back from a sabbatical. Good to be back. Got a couple questions for you. First question, how long can the average person live without drinking anything? Answer, three days. Question, how long can the average person live without eating anything? Well, that depends on how much extra storage you have. If for some of you, it could be weeks. For some of you, it could be months. For some of you, it could be years. I'm only kidding. No, it's one to two months, one to two months without eating anything. Third question, how long can you live without hope? Answer, you cannot live without hope. All of us need hope. And hope is not being positive. Hope is not being optimistic. It's not you know, wishing for the best. Hope has to be based on fact for it to be hope. It's got to be something that's 100% true. Now, Christians are Easter people because we believe on Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, you and I have the hope of eternal life. We'll live past the grave. He defeated death. That's our hope. It's critical where you put your hope. I really think our world is broken today in so many ways because there's a lack of real hope. I mean, there's brokenness everywhere. There's broken homes. There's broken marriages. There's broken families. There's broken dreams, broken friendships. And it's because people got no hope. They, they don't know, they don't have any hope in what the future holds. Or they put their hope in all the wrong places. People put their hope in success or money or sex or popularity or relationships. All those things are not worthy of hope because every single one of those things will disappoint you. They will at some point. No, we got to put our hope in something that will never, ever change, that's definite, and that is the person of God. That's who is worthy for us to put our hope in. I want us to take a look at three people in the Easter event that found hope. They started out hopeless, and then they found hope because they understood Easter. Three people, Mary Magdalene, Thomas, Peter. Let's start with Mary Magdalene. Her story opens up for us in Luke chapter 8. Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, we get that, she gets that name, Mary Magdalene, because she's from Magdala. Magdala was just recently uh, found in Israel. The archaeologists discovered it in 2009. That's pretty recent. But Mary is called Mary Magdalene because she's Mary of Magdala. 
And that distinguishes her by the New Testament writers. It distinguishes her from the many other Marys, lots of other Marys in the New Testament. You had Mary, of course, who's the brother of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is the brother of Mary, and she's the Mar that Mary is also the sister of Martha. You have uh, Mary, of course, the earthly mother of Jesus Christ. So the New Testament writers identify this Mary, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And it says that Jesus cast out of her seven demons. She was heavily demon-possessed. Demon possession, folks, is real. It's not a sin, though. It's not a sin. It's an affliction. And Jesus would cast out demons out of people who were victims of demon possession. Mary was one of them. And she would be forever grateful to Jesus. I mean, you think about it. Jesus had set her free from such an awful evil. She was very loyal to Jesus. He had given her her life back. And her story during the resurrection, of course, is joined by the other women who are very loyal to Jesus. Where are the men during uh, Easter week? Where, where are the men during the crucifixion? And uh, even early Sunday morning, they're gone. They're hiding. All the disciples, except for John. John was at the cross. But... All the other men left, but not the women. The women were at the foot of the cross. Mary was at the foot of the cross, Mary Magdalene. She watched as her Savior was brutally murdered. And because it was the Jewish Sabbath, because the Jewish law would not allow Jews to even touch a dead body, they had to wait until the Sabbath was over. Sunday morning, Sunday morning, that first Easter morning, Mary with some other women, they get up early. It's still dark, and they go to the tomb. People were not buried in the ground like we do now. They, they, they were buried in caves in a tomb. And there Mary goes, she goes there with her spices, and it's described in John chapter 20. <clears throat> early on Sunday morning while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So she ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, John. That's John. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple, they start out for the tomb. They're both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. John's a better runner than Peter. And reaches the tomb first. He stoops in, he looks in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived, went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and he believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. But Mary, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. Why is Mary crying? 
Why is she so upset? Because she doesn't know he's risen from the dead. She thinks somebody stole the body. We've got to find him. It's a very interesting scene. The other people who know and love Jesus, where are they? They're running around the city. They're telling everybody what they saw. Where's Mary? Mary's loyal. Mary's grieving. She's waiting by the tomb. She's crying. She's grieving. She doesn't understand that Jesus is alive. He's not there. She simply wants to find his body so she can anoint it with spices and complete her affection and her grief. That's it. She's just got one thing on her mind. I don't know where Jesus could be. She's lost some hope here. She turned to leave. And she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go and get him. She's saying, please, please tell me where Jesus is. I got to find him. Where's Jesus? He's standing right next to her, but she doesn't even realize it. Pause button. Could it be? Could it be that for you and I, Sometimes we get so upset. We are so worried about something. It consumes us. We feel hopeless and we cry out to God. God, where are you? you you're not here. Where are you? Maybe it's a loss of a family member or a friend or a job or loss of a dream. And we're totally sad. We are... We are we are besides ourselves and we're wondering, where are you, God? He's right there. Jesus is right there. And we don't even realize it. Where do we get that from? The scriptures tell us that. The scriptures tell us that he's nearby, especially during those times. Look at this verse, Psalm 34. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from some of their troubles. No, he delivers them from all of their troubles. Look at this. The Lord is what's the word? Close. The Lord is close to who? The brokenhearted. And he saves those who feel absolutely crushed in their spirit. That's when he's near us. He's right there. He's right next to Mary. So what happens? He calls her name, Mary. She knows. She knows. As soon as he mentions her name, Mary, everything is fine. I'm telling you, this is an, this is an issue in our lives. We get spiritual amnesia, and we forget these verses, and we forget that God promises to be very near 
especially when we need him the most. Look at this verse, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Question, why don't I have to be anxious? Why don't I have to be afraid? Why does it say, don't worry? The verse just before it, because the Lord is near. When you really believe the Lord is near, you're not going to panic. You're not going to get, the, you're not going to worry. Jesus speaks her name. Hope is restored when she realizes he's near. Second person, Thomas. Let's look at Thomas. You know Thomas, doubting Thomas. Actually, we get on Thomas. I, I don't interpret it the way a lot of people interpret these verses. I don't see it the same way. I think Thomas has honest doubt. He just doesn't want to accept what somebody is saying. He wants it proven. He wants to check it out for himself. He wants real proof. Folks, that's not a bad thing. In fact, some people are wired like that. They have healthy skepticism. It's not a bad thing to want to validate something that you hear from someone else that you're not sure about. Right? I just took out my, uh, we, uh, Judy and I took out a couple of our granddaughters out just this week for dinner. And one of them is just learning the phone thing and got a text and wasn't sure what's from a friend. And I, we both said, you have to validate that. You have to make sure you validate that. It's not wrong to validate something you're not sure of. Look at John 20. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin. He was a twin. We don't know who the other twin was, not mentioned in the New Testament, but they called Thomas the twin. He was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers in them and I place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. In his resurrected body, he could go right through doors. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Okay. Now, let me explain this to you. Jesus does not rebuke Thomas. He does not say to Thomas, shame on you, Thomas, for not believing in me. What does Jesus say to Thomas? Peace be with you. And then I can see Jesus doing He's, he's gentle. He's kind. I can see him taking his hand. Thomas, here. Here. No, don't pull away. Here. Here. Believe, Thomas. It's really me. I'm alive. What was Thomas's problem? I just can't believe without some proof. He's got some real doubts. He needs proof. 
So what does Jesus do? He shows them proof. Pause button. I want you to know that God is responsible to do that for you. He's not asking anybody to take some blind leap of faith into nowhere. He shows Thomas the proof that Thomas needs. And then he says, blessed are those who believe without actually seeing me. That's you and me he's talking about. We don't, we're not able to put our hands in the scar or in his fingers, in his hands. We can't, we can't touch those scars. But God will sh still show us proof. I meet a lot of people in this line of work. And as I'm getting towards my kind of late stage of ministry, I'm looking back a lot. And one of the people I will, I'll always remember is Stu. Stu was in my church in Jersey. And uh, Stu prided himself on being an atheist. He wasn't an obnoxious atheist. He was a good guy. But he, he was an atheist. Make no moans about it. He would tell you, I'm a scientist. I'm an engineer. I uh, can't believe these stories in the Bible. He worked for DuPont for many years in Delaware, started a company, very bright guy. But in 1985, he got some news, shattered his world. Late stage cancer, bad, bad. Doctors they operated immediately. They thought they got it all, but they were wrong. And it came back in full force in the fall. This was in the summer, in the fall. He was racked with cancer. And... Um, Doctors told him the thing nobody wants to hear. You know, Stu, you better get your affairs in order. So Stu called a family meeting. And one of his sons was going to high school. Uh, and the coach went to our church, coach of the baseball team. And his son was a really good athlete. And his, the coach had started an Athletes in Action Bible study. And his boy started going to the Bible study. And he had come out to the church a couple of times. So he said, Dad... We got to go to church. And I know the church. We're going to go to this Alliance Church. And so December 8th, 1985, Stu and his whole family came to Long Hill Chapel in Chatham, New Jersey. I was not the senior pastor at the time. My mentor, Paul, was a senior pastor. And he preached that weekend. He preached the sermon. The title of the sermon was uh, the God who seeks after us. The God who seeks after us. And Stu listened to it, actually called Paul that week and said, hey, pastor, introduced himself. He says, I'm an atheist. I really don't believe in God, but I was uh, at the church. I got some physical problems I'm going through right now. And I, I just want to let you know, it never occurred to me that there would be a God there that uh, would actually seek after people. And so the pastor wisely said, well, can we talk about it? He said, sure, you can come over. So he came over, and he talked to him about it. He talked to him about God and all of that. And, and he said, listen, pastor, I appreciate you coming over. I really do. I really appreciate you coming over. But listen, I'm an atheist. I don't believe these stories. And he said, Stu, it's not really, not really my concern whether you believe it or not, but God is doing something here. He may be chasing you. And as he got up to leave, <laughs> he grabbed Paul's arm. He goes, now, Pastor, you're not going to give up on me, are you? He says, well, Stu, it doesn't really matter if I give up on you not, or not, if God is chasing after you. Well, next Sunday, he's in church again. And this time, Pastor's got a book. He said, I want to give you a book. 
Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And he calls that week to check up on him. His wife answers, how's Stu doing? Has he read the book? Only three times. You better get over here, pastor. He's got lots of questions. He went over and Stu said, here's what I did. I got, a, a, I got out a pad. And on my pad, I wrote the 10 reasons why I don't believe in God. Then you give me this book. I read this book. And it's like this guy's reading my mail. And, and he's shooting at all 10 reasons full of holes. He said, Pastor, what do you think I should do? He said, why don't you believe? He said, how do I believe? He said, well, Stu, you know, saving faith is a gift from God. It's up to God to reveal himself to you. He shows you how to believe. Well, make a long story short, Sue got there. Stu got there. He got there. And he finally got to a settled saving faith in Jesus Christ. And it was very interesting. He died December 8th, 1986, exactly one year to the day he walked into that church. But, of course, he just went through the curtain of death right into the presence of his living Lord. I'm here to tell you today, if you're a Thomas and you want evidence and you want God to prove himself to you, I'm here to tell you it's God's responsibility to do that. God will reveal himself to you if he's pursuing you. And I also want to tell you, if he's chasing after you, you best just give up. Because he ain't going to stop. Here's the verse, John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me, Jesus speaking. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws them to me. God the Father draws people to his Son. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Doubt can be good if it leads you to the truth and the one who pursues. That's where hope begins. Third person, third person, Peter, Peter. I love Peter. Favorite apostle of mine. Why? Uh, because I love, I love his heart. He's got passion. He's a leader. He wants to make an impact. He's all heart. Even when he's making mistakes, he's all heart. He's the first one to jump in. But what does Peter do when the extreme heat is on? He denies his Lord three times. He's weaker than what he thinks he's willing to admit. And Peter absolutely blows it. I mean, he blows it in the most important moment. And folks, it absolutely devastated Peter. He failed his Lord at the most important moment. And he's full of guilt and he's full of regret. Mary is hopeless because she doesn't know where Jesus could be. Thomas is hopeless because he doesn't understand how you can believe without proof. Peter is hopeless because he really doesn't know if God would ever forgive him for that. But Jesus has some word of hope for Peter, too. 
chapter 21 of John. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, there's Thomas again, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and, the, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Listen, this is what's going on. Peter, Jesus is resurrected. He's nowhere to be seen. So Peter doesn't know what to do. They're all waiting around. He goes, you know what? I'm going back to what I did before. I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went into the boat. They caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple that Jesus loved, Peter, uh, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, and he jumped into the water, and he headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat, and they pulled a loaded net to the shore for they were about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him, he repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. And take care of my sheep. Jesus said a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What's he doing here? Listen, God is very strategic. God never asks. Listen, when God asks a question, he already knows the answer. He's asking Peter three times strategically. He knows Peter loves him. But he also knows Peter denied him three times. He is now giving Peter three times the opportunity to affirm his love. Isn't that wonderful? As one writer has put it, when you say to God, God, I have blown it, I have messed up, I have made a bad mistake. Listen, God doesn't want to rub it in. He wants to rub it out. Jesus wants to rub this out for Peter. And he wants to forgive you. He wants to take away any guilt you have, any shame you have, any regret you had. He wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to rub it out. He's already died for that mistake, whatever you did. He doesn't want to rub it in. That's not the kind of God we have. He wants to rub it out. That's why he sent his son to rub that thing out of your life. Let me tell you something. The devil doesn't want us to experience this. You know, the non-believing world, the pagan world, he doesn't have to do much on them. He doesn't have to do much work. He's got them. But for believers, he works on us. You know, you got God, you got the devil, and you got you and me in the middle. And, and the, 
the, the devil has a long, long history of trying to destroy saving faith. The devil has read the Bible. He has only one passion, and that is to destroy the plan of God that's all based on God's plan of salvation for believers. He wants to attack believers. He wants to destroy saving faith in their lives. Now, here's the good news. He will never, ever win any of those battles. You know why? Because he cannot destroy saving faith because saving faith, your saving faith is a gift from God. It's a gift of God. So God promises to protect it. And that's why God sends that message sometimes to the domain of Satan. So Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, what? That your faith will not fail. The theologians call it the perseverance of the saints. God will not let your faith fail, Christian, because it comes from him. Saving faith is a gift from God. It's his responsibility to protect it. He will lose none that the Father has given him. So Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan came for you. He came asking for you, Peter. And you can just imagine Peter thinking, well, I hope, Jesus, you said no. You said that, right, Lord? And Jesus says, no, no, I told him yes. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Well, because it's another message from my father to Satan. You cannot destroy saving faith. It belongs to me. He does this throughout the New Testament. Later on, Apostle Paul, messenger from Satan, cannot destroy Paul's faith. In fact, it strengthens his faith. What's God talking to you about today? Maybe you're, maybe you're at ground zero. Maybe you're at the first step of trying to believe. What do I do, Pastor? Well, God's got to prove himself to you. Maybe he's chasing you. I'll tell you where you're going to end up at some point. There's two responses he's looking for you. First of all, he's looking for you to believe. He's looking for you to show faith, not in yourselves, not in your religious pedigree, I don't care what you grew up, Catholic, Protestant, whatever. That's not what you're trusting in. And it's not in your goodness either. You're trusting in what he did at that cross to cover all of your sins, past, present, even the sins you haven't committed yet. In one act, he covered it all. He paid for it. You ain't got to pay for it. Stop trying to work off your sins. Stop trying to pay them off. He's already done it. So you believe that. And you receive that by faith. Second thing, you got to surrender. Why? Because Jesus said, if you want to find your life, you got to lose it. He said, listen, he said, I'm, I'm, I don't want to improve you. Jesus is not into improving anybody. He wants to create a whole new person inside of you. And to do that, he's got to kill 
that person that lives inside of you right now and raise up a whole new person in Christ. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit. That's when you're born again is when you are believe and you surrender. You say to God, I believe that what you did on that cross is enough to cover all the stuff I'm so ashamed of. I'm going to stop the rest of my life. I'm going to stop trying to work that off. I'm going to rest in what you did for me is enough. And secondly, I don't want to call the shots in my life anymore. I'm not going to try and fix anything or figure anything out. I'm just going to give you my life. When a person does that, God's answer is yes. And that's when he comes inside of your life and makes you into a person you never thought you could be. It's never too late for that. It's never too late for a fresh start. Never too late for a fresh start with God. Uh, Mary discovered it's never too late to find Jesus. Thomas discovered it's never too late for God to prove himself to me. And Peter discovered it's never too late to be forgiven. That's called hope, real hope. Let's all bow our heads. The worship team is going to lead us in a closing song. Before they do that, I want us to do some business with God. So close your eyes now. Everybody, let's do some business with God. I know he's spoken to you. This is your moment. Just respond to him quietly where you are. Respond to him. When God speaks to you, you need to respond. For some of us, it'll be... Lord, I'm just at the beginning of this thing, but I want to believe other people. This is your moment today. You're ready. You're ready. You don't need anything more. You're just going to say, Lord, I'm yours. You, you take my life from this moment on. I don't know what all that means, but I'm going to walk by faith, and I'm going to trust that you'll show me. Other, maybe you're a believer, and you've been thinking... You can lose your saving faith. And maybe this, this morning God's reminded you, it's not yours. It's a gift I gave you and I will protect it. Let's respond to God. Lord, thank you that you're a God who comes after us. Jesus, you said you came to seek and to save people who know they're lost. Thank you that you're a seeking God. Thank you that you come after us and you catch us and you love us and you forgive us and you heal us. And it's all because of Easter. So we give you praise in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet with us here today as we sing just this last part of that song about how we serve a resurrected King. And before we sing, if you made a first-time decision today, we have a card that we want you to pick up on the way out. It has a phone number on it. It's on the screen as well. And we want you to text the word yes so that we can walk alongside you in this amazing journey that you have begun here today. And then if, for everybody else, if we can pray with you, if we can support you in prayer this week, then you can take that card and you can find that number that's on the screen as well and text the word prayer. And then we're gonna reply back and find out how we can pray for you this week. But let's sing this song here together today.
now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, Amen.